This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. It all began when the Russians launched the world's first artificial satellite back in 1957. Sputnik had that highway in the sky all to itself back then. But more than 60 years and thousands of launches later, the highway to the sky is littered with space junk. And as David Pogue will explain, it's a lot more than a nuisance. Just when you thought pollution on Earth was a problem, now we have to worry about scraps of space junk, demolishing satellites and crashing into the space station. Maybe once, twice a year, we have uh, situations where something is going to get close. Sometimes we have to move the station. Imagine two cars going to 17,500 miles per hour and intersecting at a T-bone. Extremely violent, going to cause a lot of damage. Coming up on Sunday morning, what's to be done about space junk? We're at home and at ease with one of Hollywood's biggest stars this morning. But Tracy Smith reports that beneath the celebrity, actor George Clooney is very much a family man. You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. I don't do that anymore. Steal? Lie. 
No one delivers a line like George Clooney, and some of his best ones are about his family. Literally, and I'm not kidding, she tried to hard boil an egg once by putting an egg in a pan on the stove without any water in it. Seriously? Yeah, my wife makes reservations for dinner. <laughs> At home with George Clooney, later on Sunday morning. John Blackstone tells us about the hidden legacy of Jim Morrison, late lead singer of The Doors. Ben Tracy has an in-depth report about what may be nature's ideal wine cellar in waters off Santa Barbara. Commentary from Faith Saley and more. It's Sunday morning, August 8th, 2021. We'll be right back. Space junk, debris, large and small, spinning uncontrollably in an increasingly cluttered universe. It's a lot more than unsightly. It's dangerous. David Pogue reports on a collision course in the skies. If you're going to be a character in a space movie... Harvey, keep your eyes shut and exhale slowly! You gotta watch out for space junk. Everyone knows that. It seems to happen a lot. Debris from the missile strike has caused a chain reaction, hitting other satellites and creating new debris. But what not everyone knows is that that plot twist isn't fiction anymore. I got a call from my chief satellite officer. He said, we've lost track of... Uh, our satellite vehicle, th number 33, somewhere over Siberia. It may have been hit by something. You didn't build this just for us? Matt Desch is the CEO of Iridium, whose 66 satellites provide voice and data connections for governments, companies, air traffic, and shipping. In 2009, a defunct Russian satellite crashed into one of Iridium's. So how bad was the damage? Well, it, it completely took out our satellite. The Iridium disaster was a wake-up call for the space industry. There's estimated to be like 130 million tiny pieces smaller than the size of your thumb out there. And at 17,000 miles an hour, they can do damage. The litter in low Earth orbit has become a constant danger to the International Space Station. In May, astronauts there discovered a hole in the station's giant robotic arm. Fortunately, the arm still works, but it was a lucky strike. This time, the Air Force, the Space Force, are constantly monitoring the debris uh, in low Earth orbit. I spoke to astronauts Victor Glover and Mike Hopkins in April while they were aboard the space station. Sometimes we have to move the station, sometimes we don't. So it, it is a constant, uh, something that we're always worrying about up here and something that we have to be mindful of. And if there's no time to move the space station? Then you have to take shelter. Get in basically your rescue vehicle and be prepared to depart the station. Peggy Whitson has spent more time in space than any American. My uh, second flight, I think we had to do one debris avoidance maneuver, and we did three or four on my last one. There's a greatly increasing number of objects out there. There was an old saying that space is big. Not anymore. It's getting smaller and smaller by the day. John Crisides is a professor at the University at Buffalo who specializes in space debris. Like many experts, he's worried about 
the Kessler Syndrome. In 1978, Donald Kessler was an engineer at NASA, and he predicted that debris would hit other debris, which would cause more debris. I think in 50 years, if we don't do something, probably the collision is going to be so great that it's not even worth putting satellites up there. We definitely don't want to do that. So what are the proposals for cleaning up our act up there? There are many proposals right now. Unfortunately, none of them are, are feasible. But that doesn't mean people aren't trying. In 2018, an experimental European satellite called the Remove Debris successfully ensnared a fake piece of debris in a net. And a startup called Astroscale has devised several approaches to cleaning up space junk. None of us think that this is going to be easy, but we all know it has to be done. Chris Blackerby is Astroscale's chief operating officer. In March, the company launched a satellite called ELSA-D that's designed to capture any piece of space junk that was fitted with a special magnetic plate. This summer, it will try to grab a fake dead satellite. There's an arm that's going to extend out that has magnets on the end of it, and it's going to go and attach to that satellite. But even if you can get all the technology to work, and even if you can figure out a way to pay for it, how much of the problem can Astroscale really fix? We're never going to remove every piece of debris, but we think that we can put a significant reduction on, on the risk of future operations in orbit by taking these steps. Iridium's Matt Desch isn't convinced by those efforts. Technology can help. Unfortunately, it can't help soon, and it can't help in a big way. There's really no business case for that in the near term to make a big dent into space. Meanwhile, our primary satellite traffic lanes are about to get a lot more crowded. Companies like Elon Musk's Starlink are in the process of launching mega constellations, thousands of tiny satellites designed to provide Internet service all over the world. Many other governments in the world have plans to create their own mega constellations, and there aren't rules of the road for all of us to work together effectively. I mean, there's not even the simplest thing of ensuring that people don't fly at the same altitude. You're just asking for problems. Well, if you could wave your magic wand and solve the problem, what would the pieces of that solution look like? We think the most important thing is don't create any more while we're still trying to figure out a technical solution for it. So if you have a problem with a satellite, don't launch another one. Another thing that's really important is that there has to be a lot more cooperation and coordination between everyone who is in space. Everybody has to communicate the information. You can imagine perhaps the Russians and Chinese have a problem coordinating, giving all the information about their satellite locations to the U.S. Air Force. In a way, this is sort of an age-old human story, whether it's us dumping plastic or us dumping chemicals or us burning fossil fuels. We don't really think through the detritus that we leave behind. You're right. I mean, it's so-called tragedy of the commons. Low Earth orbit is a global resource that we all have to protect for the future because we don't get another one. Ben Tracy this morning dives into uncharted waters, a wine cellar under the sea. About a mile off the coast of Santa Barbara, California, an unusual search is underway. What exactly are we out here looking for today? A treasure. A treasure? <laughs> a wine treasure. <laughs> That's my kind of treasure. We have to go and find it. So, you know, you always have a little knot until you find and we know we can bring it back home. And... Emanuele Azzaretto is our guide. 
He's both an experienced diver and as a native of Italy, he's also an experienced wine drinker. I married all the things I like and tried to turn it into a job. He then disappears into the water. And about 20 minutes later, yeah, up. this breaks the surface. Swing it, swing it. A massive metal cage filled with a bounty of nearly 1,500 bottles of red wine. This is not dumb luck. Azaretto knew what he was looking for because he sank it in the ocean a year ago. He's the co-founder of Ocean Fathoms, a company experimenting with using the ocean floor as a wine cellar. The bottles come out dripping with seawater and shellacked with seashells. This is one of the bottles that just came off. Each bottle, I mean, it's, it's an art piece. It does look like something you'd find on a pirate ship. Exactly. <laughs> After just one year in the murky depths, the bottles have bonded with the ocean bottom attracting plenty of curious and perhaps thirsty sea creatures. But Ocean Fathoms is more interested in the ocean's influence on the inside of the bottle. It calls this section of the Santa Barbara Channel nature's perfect cellar. Because there is little oxygen and light, the temperature remains a constant 54 degrees and ocean currents gently rock the bottles. So the motion of the ocean really is just kind of cradling yeah. these things. Oh, absolutely. And then we are in the Santa Barbara Channel. There's all the whales here. So imagine what the bottle's here for a year. Right. <laughs> the whales are singing to them. So The whales are singing to them. <laughs> well, they're down so there. So they get cradled by the ocean, the ocean and lullabies for the whales? Absolutely. That's a good life as a wine bottle. Yeah, it is. For us, too, when we drink it. Better than you're going to get in somebody's closet. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Azaretto was inspired by stories he read a few years ago about a treasure trove of champagne from a shipwreck found on the bottom of the Baltic Sea. The 168 bottles, including some very vintage Veuve Clicquot, were still highly drinkable after 170 years underwater. The famed champagne house has since created its own cellar in the sea program, storing various bottles of bubbles 130 feet down in a Baltic Sea wine vault. I was like intrigued and super curious. Rajat Parr was a sommelier for 18 years and now makes his own wine near California's central coast. Perfect temperature to grow grapes. Where the cool ocean breeze provides ideal conditions for making world-class wine. But when Ocean Fathoms approached Parr about dropping some of his best vintages into the Pacific, he wasn't convinced. At first, you thought this might be kind of a gimmick. Oh, 100%. In the beginning, I was like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it could be interesting, but I'm just, I'm just, I just don't know. I, just, I wasn't sure. He ultimately decided to sacrifice a few bottles and see what happens. Mind was blown, yeah. You realized it wasn't a gimmick. I realized it was definitely not a gimmick. What does the ocean do to the wine? The wine evolves in texture. So wine with tannin becomes softer tannins. Wines which are kind of rustic will become more round. But the nose is identical. It does not age in the aromas. It only ages in the texture. And how long would it typically take you to get that kind of texture in a cellar? I don't know. Five plus years. Oh, wow. The bottles sell for a premium, starting around $350. But not everyone is a true believer. 
California's Coastal Commission is reviewing Ocean Fathom's permit application and has expressed concerns about the wine cage's impact on marine life and fishing grounds. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, it's silky. Well, you found your treasure. I did, finally. And now we get to drink it. And now we get to enjoy it. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to you. And now, one of our Sunday best. From Connor Knighton, a story of dogged determination. On this 100-degree day in El Paso, a Texas terrier named Tumble is enjoying a bit of fresh air while trying to beat the heat. <laughs> However, most of Tumble's time is spent here, inside a cage at El Paso Animal Services. She was brought to the shelter after she was found out on the street, her head trapped in a fence. Usually on any given year, we have 25,000 to 30,000 animals come through the door. Good girl. Kylie Young's job is to help get those animals out the door. Come on. But there are far more dogs in El Paso than there are willing adopters. It's a common story at shelters in several cities. But it's not the story in every city. My jaw just dropped. I, I didn't know. I mean, I'm living in a cocoon in Jackson where, you know, life is good and everybody has a dog and all the dogs are well taken care of and the shelter is empty. Peter Rourke is a retired orthopedic surgeon based in Jackson, Wyoming. He's loved dogs ever since he was a boy. I like dogs better than most people I know. I mean, I just, <laughs> they're just pure of heart and pure of soul. Rourke also happens to be a part-time pilot. When he retired from medicine, he realized that he might be able to help connect some of the towns that have full shelters to towns full of willing adopters. So he took the seats out of his plane and took to the skies, co-founding the nonprofit Dog is My Co-Pilot. The mission is stated to fly or transport the dogs from the areas that have a high euthanasia rate to areas that will never put down a healthy animal. A typical day might involve loading up a plane full of animals in Merced, California, and then dropping them off to receiving partners in Portland, Seattle, and Missoula, Montana. What's the m maximum number of animals you'd have on a flight? 251. Wow. I, yeah. What that did was, that smell like? You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's an amazing olfactory experience. <laughs> Mork began his rescue flights in 2012, just a few months after the sudden death of his wife, Meg. He was distraught, desperately searching for a new direction. My wife passed away. I was in the darkest place that you can imagine. A mutual friend of ours called me and said, you know, Peter, you need to knock this off. Meg would want you to be happy, so get out there. And out there he went. To date, Dog is My Co-Pilot has flown more than 19,000 animals. Mostly dogs, with a few cats thrown in. That's way more of an impact than I ever made as an orthopedic surgeon. You know, and it's so, so it's so much more rewarding. 72 animals are waiting for Rourke at the El Paso airport at 4 a.m. on a Sunday, including a tired tumble. Once everyone is safely loaded onto the plane... Rourke is off. So. After stops in Salt Lake City and Sutton Valley, 
the animals descend into Troutdale, Oregon, just outside Portland. There, an army of volunteers is waiting to help unload the dogs and get them to their new homes. I think I'm going to cry. Yeah, good boy. Julie Zagrins, with Portland's One Tail at a Time Rescue, noticed a huge increase in adoption interest once COVID hit. People were just overwhelmed by how many applications that we had to process, and it's a great problem to have. So, you know, we want to find everyone a dog. Zagrins found Tumble a home with Portlanders Andrea Fielder and Matt Schmidt. It turns out their backyard kiddie pool is Tumble's favorite hangout spot. Some Texas habits die hard. You're home, Tumble. You're home. This doesn't look like Texas, does it? Back at the airport, an empty plane means a successful trip for Peter Rourke. He'll be back here in two weeks to do it all over again, hitting a half dozen other towns in the meantime. Did this help you find a purpose? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, people say, well, you're out saving dogs, and I'm thinking... I really think they saved me. (laughs) They got me back out in the world again. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. I am the only daddy you got. I am the damn pedophilias. But you ain't bona fide. Where's your mama? Like many of us, actor George Clooney spent much of the pandemic puttering around the house, doing laundry, and taking stock. Tracy Smith is at home with George Clooney. Are you enjoying being home all the time Mm -hmm. now? Well, look, no. (laughs) Of course not. We met George Clooney last November at his home in L.A., where he'd spent the bulk of the pandemic with his wife, human rights lawyer Amal Clooney, and their two kids. He says it was all good, just maybe a little less, well, glamorous than he's used to. It's been a while since I did, you know, 15 loads of laundry in a day and mop floors and, you know, all these doors over here I stained. Um... And it was, you know, I always say I felt like my mother in 1964 because <laughs> she had two kids and no help. And I don't know how she did it now. I have more sympathy for her now than ever. You cook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, my wife is Lebanese and I'm telling you, she can do anything. She's amazing. Um, she accomplishes things that I'm in awe of. She's never, if she walks near a pan in the kitchen, the, it, the whole place would fall apart. <laughs> Literally, and I'm not kidding, she tried to hard-boil an egg once by putting an egg in a pan on the stove without any water in it. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. My wife makes reservations for dinner. (laughs) Her mother doesn't cook. Her sister doesn't cook. 
Uh, so I do the, uh, a lot of the cooking in the family. And have you been cutting your own hair? Mm-hmm. I've been cutting my own hair for 25 years. So it has nothing to do with quarantine? No. Look, I have, my hair's like really like straw, you know, and so it's easy to cut. You can't really make too many mistakes. So years ago, uh, I bought a, a thing called a Flowbee, which when we you were did kid, not. when I was a kid, yeah. The infomercial, the yeah, Flowbee. This ingenious device lets you give yourself and family perfect haircuts every time. Yes. It comes with a vacuum cleaner yes. and the clippers. Yeah, I still have it. Stop it. You don't I, use it. My haircuts take literally two minutes. I go, is, is, the, the, is this Flowbee? Yeah, it's Flowbee. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, listen, man, it works. <laughs> now, you know, I wouldn't do it to my wife. You been using my hair treatment? Your hair treatment? Excuse me. Have you cut Amal's hair? No, I have not. Okay, that's, that's not one. allowed. But I have sewed up uh, buttons on her dress before. Really? Mm-hmm. That's so romantic. I'm that's scrappy. actually really sweet. I'm scrappy. I can fix things like any because I grew up, you know, being scrappy, and you had to. So you have a little MacGyvery kind of thing a going on. Bit, you can do you know, a lot with a bag of buttons. The, yeah, I can make things work when they don't work, if only for long enough to get through the day. It seems George Clooney can make a lot of things work. He's made more than four dozen films and picked up two Oscars along the way. A real-life good guy who's had great success, more often than not, playing the bad guy. Because the house always wins. Play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. been practicing this speech a little bit did i rush it felt like i rushed it was good i liked it you know it's a funny thing i didn't get it but i realized not not that long ago that i played you know a crook more than anything i mean michael clayton i'm a rotten crooked lawyer and you know i played mostly crooks you know which kind of surprising to me i didn't think of it i always thought of them as lovable well they are lovable crooks but usually there's something a little you know you're right it's true what does that say about you I got problems. Sometimes it's impossible to save a kid's life, and the only thing we can do is save them from suffering. Clooney first came to fame as a doctor in the NBC series ER, but he was hardly an overnight success. He'd struggled in Hollywood for years after moving out from his Kentucky home with little more than the shirt on his back. It was 1982 when I wanted to move out to uh, L.A., and I had a beat-up 76 Monte Carlo, rust all over it. I would fill it with oil and check the gas. And I drove it out here in three days. I didn't turn it off. <laughs> because? I was afraid I couldn't turn it back on. And uh, I got here, it broke down, and I got a bicycle, and I rode to auditions all around town for uh, a year and a half. On a bike? Yeah. And uh, I did construction work all around town with, for friends of mine. I slept on the floor a closet of my buddy Tom Matthews apartment and never it never you know listen you're 22 years old 21 years old doesn't bother you at all it really doesn't as long as you can you know you needed to have like you know you needed like five bucks a day to live on you know it's true now 60 and a millionaire many times over he keeps busy with the Clooney Foundation for Justice that grew out of his work in places like South Sudan all of you should know that um, what you said here today will be heard and listened to around the world. But he'll be the first to say that having a family is his biggest challenge to date, 
and, no surprise, his greatest reward. I guess the question is, in your own life, does having someone to care for change things? Yes. There is no question that having a, a mall in my life changed everything for me. No question about that. Um, it was the first time that everything that she did and everything about her was infinitely more important than anything about me. And then we had these, these two knuckleheads, and it is very fulfilling and something I wasn't at all, didn't see coming. So, you know, when we, we never talked about marriage when we were dating, and I asked her out of the blue, took her a long time to say, uh, I was on my knee for like 20 minutes. <laughs> I finally said, look, I'm going to throw my hip out. <laughs> her parents, we told that story to her parents, and they're like, there's something wrong with his hip. <laughs> and, then, and we never talked about having kids. And then one day we just said, what do you think? And, you know, and then we go to the doctor and, you know, you do the ultrasound and they're like, yeah, you got a baby boy. I was like, baby boy, fantastic. And they go, and you got another one there. And I was like, I was up for one. <laughs> yeah, again, I'm like, I'm old. And all of a sudden it's like two and I literally, you know, it's hard to get me to not talk. And I just stood there for like 10 minutes just staring at this piece of paper going, too silently but now it's silent <laughs> but i'm so glad they have each other you know so it is a wonderful thing right it's unbelievable i understand when he's not making movies like last year's the midnight sky all right guys that's it congratulations we got this one done thank you clooney says he spends a third of his time with his foundation but quietly for a guy who's now made a couple of space movies, George Clooney is, forgive me, remarkably down to earth. So do you, I'm curious, mm. just watching you, you're very self-deprecating, and I'm mm. wondering, is, is that something that is in your nature, or do you work on that? I think it's in my nature. I think, you know, a lot of times the, the secret is you take the gun out of their hands before they can shoot you, you know. I just, I think that that's a, it's a healthy way of looking at the world. There's a line in, I think it was a movie called Out of the Past. Uh, Robert Mitchum says, I never learned anything from hearing myself talk. It's kind of a good, it's a good measure to go by. Time out for thoughts from Faith Saley. Hi, team. I'm going to need your help unpacking and drilling down on a word that's getting some increasingly indiscriminate use. And team, that word is team. Are you part of a team at work? Do you get emails that start with team and hear people say, let me run that by my team? What is a team exactly? Let's go to the dictionary. A team is defined as a number of persons associated in some joint action. It's also two or more animals harnessed together to draw a vehicle, which gets to the heart of why some might object to being called team. It can feel a little non-consensual. Like, if you're just told you're on the team, did you sign up? Did you try out? Were you drafted? Or harnessed like an ox? There is no I in team, but there is a me, and me not so sure how I feel about all this. If you're a boss or a leader, as corporate America would prefer you to say, it feels better to call the people who work for you team rather than calling them staff or direct reports or minions. Colleagues is formal. Folks sounds folksy. Comrades? Peeps? Squad? Y'all? All y'all? 
What did we used to say before team? You guys? I applaud leaders who want to be collegial and egalitarian, but throwing out the T word can also be self-serving. Yes, it enrolls your coworkers, but it also creates plausible deniability. If you say team, it makes everyone responsible. And it sure is useful to postpone making decisions or deliver bad news when you can blame it on the team. Maybe we back away altogether from the sports metaphor? I love musical theater. Why don't we replace team with ensemble? I did have a hair and makeup team today. This is what I look like before. <coughs> We've got a great group here at Sunmo. When you work here, you get to call it Sunmo. But we don't call ourselves a team. I guess because there's an I in Sunday morning. Gosh, maybe if we did call ourselves team, we'd get so much more done. Like, we'd need more Sundays every week just to air all our shows. Oof, I'm too tired to be on a team. Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.